Welcome back to our podcast, which we call Busting Addiction and the Myths That Surround It. This podcast is sponsored by Safe House Rehab Thailand, where we offer clients a life-changing experience in the perfect environment for recovery. And it's closer than you think. Just visit safehouserehab.com to learn more. My name is Bruno J. And here's why I created this podcast. It's getting crazier and more deadly than we could have ever imagined just 10 years ago with opioids and now fentanyl, which is 100 times more potent than heroin. A while ago, I noticed that there was no podcast dedicated solely to talking to that one super important group without whom many addicts would never make it. And I realized then that I had the ammo to blow up some of these myths so that nothing but the truth survived. So if you love an addict or alcoholic and you feel like your loved one is sucking the oxygen out of your life, then this podcast is for you. If your loved one is driving you crazy and stealing your money, your peace of mind and your sanity, this podcast is for you. And if you're feeling rage and shame and your self-esteem has been flushed down the tubes, this podcast is for you too. I entitle this episode number 11, Busting the Myth That Your Problem Is My Problem. In this week's episode, I want to talk more about codependency, why it happens, how you end up replacing your own agenda of self-care with the other person's neediness, and how it is absolutely essential for your own sanity to address your codependency. A few days before I was married a long, long time ago, the Reverend sat with my bride-to-be and myself to give us some premarital advice, and he said something I have remembered to this day because it cut through the usual bland admonishments of do's and don'ts. This was supposed to be a prenup counseling session, and he seemed sincere and knowledgeable. I like the guy. This is what he said that has struck me all these years. Don't forget to give of yourself, but be careful that you do not give yourself away. I wondered at the time, why did he say that? I didn't stop to ask him what he meant, because as a 22-year-old kid... I thought everything said by people over 30 was totally irrelevant. And this was a long time even before the term codependency was even termed. What did he know that we didn't? Maybe he knew that a partner could empty the tank helping the other guy and would never ever be enough. You could, quote, give yourself away and never get anywhere because the other person's neediness is endless and you rob yourself of your very identity trying to fix what cannot be fixed. Does that describe the people who love an addict or alcoholic? Does it describe you? In her excellent book, Codependent No More, Melanie Beatty talks about how the disease makes everyone in the home as sick, if not sicker, than the alcoholic addict himself. I realize that that idea might be a hard one to swallow, but consider this. I'll use myself as an example. As an addict and alcoholic, I ended up creating codependence all around me. These were the people who yelled at me, threw out my booze, denied me money after I got fired, tried to protect me from my own sabotage, cajoled, manipulated, and generally got in the way of me getting high whenever I felt like it. I resented them and they resented me. Hey, they found my stash and threw it away. Well, maybe they smoked it. Who knows? What would make my loved ones crazy was the crazy stuff I would do on the spur of the moment. Give you an example. My girlfriend was visiting me in my apartment and I was sitting on the balcony facing the street. She was paranoid about my dope smoking and cocaine use. 
So there's a guy who has just left the building I was living in, and as he passed by in front of me, a half story below, I said, hey, you don't suppose you would know where I can get some good weed? Now this is while my girlfriend is in the kitchen making us dinner. The guy says, sure, do you have a car? I said, sure, let's go. I said to her, honey, i got to run to the store, get some smokes. You want anything? No? Okay, I'll see you then. I'll be back soon. I drove to the ATM, got a bunch of cash, ran around town, never got the dope, did get some coke, and came home around 2 a.m. Spaghetti and spaghetti sauce splattered all over the kitchen when I got home. See what I mean? Me crazy, you crazy too. My beautiful lady was one of those who was great at taking care of other people, but didn't take the time to take care of herself. Man, I could push her around all I wanted. She would keep coming back for more until she stopped coming back for more, and I don't blame her a bit. She didn't just give of herself, she gave herself away. And by the way, the subtitle of Miss Beatty's book is How to Stop Controlling Others and Start Taking Care of Yourself. So stop doing one thing and start doing something else. The fact is that many spouses or mothers, let's say the vast majority of cases, are one where the husband or son is the alcoholic or addict, and the wife or mother is the one bearing the weight of the consequences. She's the codependent. The wife may have been told so many lies about herself that she doesn't know who she is anymore. She thinks she is going crazy. Fact is that she's a codependent. Because as I've stated before, alcoholism and addiction are family diseases. The way that addiction affects family members is called codependency. There are two major illusions, or let's call them myths, that the people closest to the addict live with. One, the addiction or alcoholism is only the addict's problem. And two, that life would be wonderful if the addict stopped using or the alcoholic would stop drinking. So let's bust both of them right now. Number one, the addict's disease has the non-addicts in the house reacting in misguided and irrational ways, such as covering for the addict, enabling the addict, while also resenting the addict, manipulating, lying, worrying to exhaustion, doing the responsible stuff, while he watches TV drunk. Obviously, the addict's disease takes over the family. So if they stop talking openly, stop trusting and stop feeling, they stuff their own feeling because they're afraid of them anymore. Ask codependent the grip of the disease, what she really feels, and she won't really be able to access her real feelings anymore. She's become numb. Because once it sets in, codependency takes on a life of its own. And because you don't know that you have it, you sure can't kick it. Two, the myth that life become wonderful if only the alcoholic stopped drinking or the addict stopped using is yet another illusion that has to be smashed. You didn't become codependent overnight, and you will not recover from the damage that the disease has done to you and your family overnight either. So whether the problem person is in recovery or out of the house using, the damage is done. And if you believe the data that if on average it takes 11 years before a family member takes action to intervene in one way or another, I'd be willing to bet that that family has been victimized by the disease for years and years. And therefore, it is not realistic in the least to expect that the family has come through this, this ordeal unscathed. In fact, they have been thoroughly worked over as the disease has likely stolen their money, their peace of mind, and sucked the oxygen that is the joy of living out of their lives for a long, long time. Three, so much for those myths. I'm reminded of the biblical saying, if it's okay to quote one here, 
Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And the first way to get at the truth is to smash the myths that keep us in bondage to ignorance and this disease. 4. There is a philosopher quoted by my recovery program named Herbert Spencer. And he was speaking to the skeptics of his day, just like there are skeptics today about the value of recovery programs or the effectiveness of recovery programs. He said something like this, There is one bar to all human progress, and that is contempt prior to investigation. The prejudices that we have, the illusions that we carry, the myths that we fervently believe in, the contempt we might have for ideas that are unfamiliar, all of these things stand in the way of liberating ourselves from the prison of this disease. And the odd thing is, this is a prison of our own making. But because we were not fully conscious of the dance, we danced unwittingly to the tune of the disease. We became conditioned to react in the same ways over and over, expecting this time, dear God, this time it'll be better. Five, and the odd thing is, this is a prison of our own making. But because we were not fully conscious of the dance, we danced unwittingly to the tune of the disease. We became conditioned to react in the same ways over and over, expecting this time, dear God, this time it'll be better. Our hearts have been broken enough. Our spirit has been beaten down enough. Our self-esteem needs repair. Fear must give way to something greater and more positive. Loneliness must be eased. The feeling of me being the only one who is dealing with this, this uniqueness must be banished. Let me tell you the story of my codependency. It is paralleled by many, so it is definitely not unique. In fact, it's very typical. 25 years ago, I fell in lust with a woman who lived two doors down from the sober living house I was managing. A halfway house, some call it. At first, I thought the guy who would come and go from the house she lived in was her husband. But then when her five-year-old son, with whom I used to play basketball in the alley, told me that the guy was actually her brother, I really went for it. Yippee! I ignored the warning signs, such as her always having a beer in her hand sitting on the porch, no big deal, always beer in the fridge, no big deal, always drinking when friends came over. Hey, I was in lust. Her son was so jealous of me, he tried to castrate me with a big plastic sword. <laughs> what a great memory. I now have known him for most of his 29-year life, and we are the very best of friends. He happens to be a sergeant in the United States Marine Corps. I'm very proud of that kid. So back to the lady, his mother, and my disorder. Remember, at this time, I was only about two years sober, so I was in no shape to be in a relationship to begin with. And here I was getting it on with an experienced alcoholic, turns out. My controlling, suspicious codependency took over for after a while. Just overcame me. I suspected she had a boyfriend in some other town far away. I listened into her phone calls. I suspected she had a nighttime visitor, a married man in the neighborhood, so I would drive my car around watching for him. I looked in her purse. I intercepted her mail. I threw away a gift a guy had sent her. When she traveled to meet a girlfriend, my jealousy overtook me and I almost booked a flight to check on her. I checked around the house for wine and beer, and when I found them, I confronted her and we got into it. I became a very angry man and took out my anger toward her on her two young children. So I finally contacted the counselor who was still helping me in my sobriety program. 
And I confided to her for the very first time my feelings of helplessness, anxiety, resentment, my suspicions. And I told her what I had been doing, sneaking, peeking, snooping, and asking, what could I do about her? My counselor said something that stopped me in my tracks. Looking back, it put me on the road to healing. She said, Bruno, you need to address your own dishonesties. Can you imagine? I come to my counselor to see what I can do about my girlfriend, and basically Margaret is saying that I am the problem. What the hell is that? I come to my counselor hoping for the magic elixir to fix her. Get that, the elixir to fix her. By that I mean my girlfriend. Yeah, and that she says there's no potion for that emotion. There's nothing that I can do to keep her from doing the things she does. I am powerless over my girlfriend and her actions. But there are lots of things I can do to keep her from living in my head 24-7, rent-free. I share the so-called problem with my sponsor in my alcohol recovery program. And he said, Bruno, I can see that your obsession with your lady friend is threatening your sobriety. You might end up becoming so pissed off at her that you'll say, F it, I might as well drink. Am I right? I admitted that he was right. He recommended I get counseling for my codependency. It was taking over my life. Man, I could hardly get my work done. I kid you not. And I did that, and he also did something that changed my life for the price of a few dollars a week in the basket. He kicked my butt into Al-Anon. My counselor had me also look at my patterns. It turned out that I was always, always attracted to sexy drunks because I met all, almost all of the women I ended up with in a bar or a drinking situation, like a wedding. Uh, almost always we were both drunk when we had sex the first time, that alcohol and drugs were involved in every time we made love, that we were almost always high when we were home together, when we traveled together, when we did anything together other than sleeping. If a woman wasn't drinking or smoking dope or both, and if she didn't ha give off a vibe of being a bad girl, then I wasn't interested. Yeah, so what, you say? Well, I get sober, and now I'm the one who will straighten you out. I had no idea that I had the potential for massive codependency inside of me. All of the things I was doing to try to control my fiancé's behavior, she became my fiancé even though her drinking drove me nuts. Shows you how sane I was. Drinking was well-meaning but woefully misguided. Controlling of her drinking was well-meaning but woefully misguided. It was only serving to provoke rage and resentment in me. I learned an awful lot now and on. I quickly learned that when it come to another's disease, I didn't cause it, I can't control it, and I sure can't cure it. I learned I was there for me, not for the addicted loved one. I learned that I had no business being an a-hole no matter what the other person said or did. I had a responsibility to be a good stepdad no matter what because the children were innocent bystanders and they deserved better. I learned the value of detachment accompanied by love. Yes, that is probably the biggest lesson I learned next to who, who is the problem, which is me. But I was very, very lucky. I was already in a recovery program, and I grabbed onto this new way of thinking and being fairly quickly. Others are not as fortunate. Here's the story of Lucy, who was starting to break down and actually think about suicide because, although she had always been a tower of strength, 
She was just sick and tired of taking care of her three kids and her husband, who apparently was a very angry man. Turns out he was an alcoholic who was supposed to be going to his meetings, but wasn't. He was basically going off on benders every now and then and being what we call an, a dry drunk, which means being angry, blaming, being hostile, infantile, irresponsible, and selfish. Huh, kind of like a real alcoholic, kind of like I used to be. Then we learn that Lucy is also an adult child of an alcoholic or an ACOA, just like my own daughter. And that fact points to her incurring some PTSD-like damage to her psyche, which had her stuff her feelings to the point where she didn't know what she was feeling. And that contributed to her anxiety and depression. So there was a lot going on under the surface of which she was not even aware. It took years of emotional abuse by the disease to bring her to this point of despair. She could not understand why she had become so fragile and fearful. Taking her counselor's advice, she learned to identify what she was feeling. Yes, you need to, in the words of that old cliche, get in touch with your feelings and just experiencing them, not fighting them. In therapy, we were asked to ask ourselves, am I mad, sad, glad, afraid, ashamed, or hurt? You know, these are the six primary feelings, like the primary colors. And it is really important that you identify what they are, what you're feeling, and maybe more than one at a time, but not judge them, just experience them. We also learn that shame is a master emotion, that in many a dysfunctional home, toxic shame is wielded as a weapon of control. Books are written about toxic shame. Codependents wield shame to bludgeon the alcoholic into submission, as in, how could you do that? How could you say that? How could you stay up all night? What kind of a person are you? And so on and so on. Toxic shame. Over time, Lucy learned to be okay with what she was feeling, that it was okay to express herself freely, that she did not have to sit on her feelings, that it was okay to detach from her husband's insanity. She could still love him, but she no longer felt the need to control him, to let him go, which meant she started to take care of her own needs in the healthiest of ways. In this episode, what did we learn? One, there is a big difference between giving of yourself and giving yourself away. There's a big difference between helping and codependency. Two, first myth, addiction is only the addict's problem. The reality is addiction is a family illness. Three, second myth, life will be grand if only the addict would stop using or if the alcoholic would stop drinking. Reality is, it took years for the family to become ill, and it will take time and effort to heal. Four, codependency is the accepted clinical term for the effect that addiction or alcoholism has on family members. Codependence, in putting so much energy into trying to control the addict, they stop taking care of themselves. Five, there is help for family members affected by the disease so that they can put the focus back on their well-being, including Al-Anon, ACOA, Adult Children of Alcoholics, many books, individual counseling, and other support groups. So the very best of luck, our heart goes out to you. And that is meant sincerely. The Busting Addiction and the Myths That Surrounded podcast is brought to you by the caring professionals at Safe House Rehab Thailand, who offer clients a life-changing experience in the perfect environment for recovery. Just ask us any question, we mean any question, at info at safehouserehab.com 
And we may use it on the air with your permission, of course, or visit us at safehouserehab.com. We want to help you make an informed decision for yourself and your loved one at this very important time in your family's life. So tune in next week for the next episode of Busting Addiction and the Myths That Travel With It. And we'll see you next time.